My name is Isabella, and this is the Intern Whisperer. This week's Intern Whisperer tip of the week is still looking at Myers-Briggs, looking at judging versus perceiving in individuals. This is all about how they approach the world. Judging personalities do a great job with well-defined planning and structure, but they may fall into rigid patterns. If you're a judging personality type, you may probably know what I mean. Unexpected shifts like a problem, they can upset more than enthuse you. Understanding that about your personality type and how it can set you back can help you decide to practice being more flexible. This helps you handle unexpected events with less stress, which in turn helps you retain the sense of stability that helps you succeed. Perceiving personality types tend to be more comfortable with sudden changes, able to adapt their attention rapidly without much stress. But if you're perceiving, you likely struggle with linear boundaries like deadlines and thorough detailed follow through. That can cause trouble at work, but knowing that aspect of your personality helps you compensate to consciously focus your efforts more narrowly when you want or need to meet important goals at work. All right. So today's guests on the Intern Whisperer are two of my favorite guys that I met at Starter Studio, and I'm really glad to have them here. They are brothers, and their names are Evan and Zach Ernst. Did I say the last name right? I'm going to perfect. Awesome. So I don't know who was born first. I'm curious. Which one of you guys? What's your guess? Evan is about a year older. Oh, oh well. I, I wasn't going to guess that, but it makes uh-huh. sense to me because, you know, your little brother is the one that is always wanting to check in with you is what I'm saying. I think he sees you as that CEO and that really big brother. So he must defer to your judgment quite a bit. And I would have said it was you because of that. Uh-huh. Very nice. Yeah. Not because you both look the same age. You both look ridiculously <laughs> young. So I don't know how old you are, but you know, I would not have known that because you're like, you both look the same. <laughs> That's awesome. The okay. well, law school age, Zach. So uh, I didn't go to law school. So I was hoping you'd, you'd go a couple of years on him. Oh, gosh. Well, I don't know. Law school is really hard. I will give you that. I've worked for a lot of attorneys and I can promise you it's, it is stressful. <laughs> Those billable hours and the... Um, possibility that you can lose a license is super scary mm-hmm. after all of that school. Anyway, back to our show. So um, guys, before we start, what we always do is I ask our guests, tell us five words that describe you. So I'm going to tag team and you know, alternate it. So I'm going to go to you first, Evan, and you tell us why those five words, and then we'll go over here to Zach. But then the next time around on the next question, it goes to Zach first. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, so my five words, uh, digging deep into the soul to find them. After talking to you a little bit, Isabella, I'd say first is brother. And then second, I'd say father. As you know, last week, six days ago, I became a dad. So that's pretty crazy. And if I'm going to say dad and brother, then I probably need to say husband because I became that pretty recently too. And then outside of that, I'd throw in coach. I, I had the opportunity to coach a lot of kids in my time in Tallahassee and, and in Central Florida, coach soccer. 
And it's just so one of, some of the greatest privileges, greatest honor of my life has been coaching a group of kids from sixth grade up to their to 18, so 11, 18. And then to close it out, I'd say passionate. Mm-hmm. So much of who I am is based on just doing what I, I believe most in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first impression of you when I met you, that you were super passionate and very, very uh, engaged with what your organization's mission and purpose is. But we're saving that so we can tell our guests what that is in just a minute. Okay, so I'm throwing it over here to Zach. So Zach, what are your five words? Awesome. Yeah, I'll jump in. I think first, I would say optimistic. That might be the one that I start with. I know I might be adjusting some of my previous thoughts, just thinking through it more. But (laughs) start optimistic. And then I think lifelong learner might be one that I would pick. And then uh, I would do attorney as well. And then I, and now I feel like I'm forced to say brother. So I'll say brother. <laughs> Evans. And uh, and I am also an uncle playing off Evans. But not only that, Isabella, I'm also a stay-at-home uncle right now. So I'm living in Evans' guest room as we try and start all this companies out and work for the nonprofit. So stay-at-home uncle is an important role in my life. Yes, <laughs> because there can never be enough people around. Well, there probably can be too many people, but when there's a new baby, everybody wants to be around that baby. So that world revolves. That baby is, is the center of the universe for everybody, grandparents, mm-hmm. uncles, and of course the parents. Yeah, for sure. All righty. Well, guys, let's see. Okay. So I'm coming back over here to you, Zach. Where did you go to school and how did you get to where you guys are now? Oh, wait. I'm going to do this question first. What is the name of your organization? Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll jump in. So our nonprofit is called Who We Play For. Um, the name is a spinoff of a name that, of a previous organization we founded called the Play for Race Foundation. And then we, we figured this would be a more inclusive name to other nonprofits like us. So we did the Who We Play For as our, as our nonprofit. I love the name of that. When I first heard it, I went, wow, it makes me ask a lot of questions because the Mm. question is, who are you playing for? (laughs) What is this? Is it any sport? What is it? I don't know. Could it be? I don't know. Whatever it could be. Could be games, whatever. But, you know, I was having a lot of questions. So the name alone was intriguing. And the fact that it was a nonprofit was very interesting to me because as you guys know, I have a background in nonprofit management. Yeah. All right. So I'm coming back over here to Evan and where'd you go to school and how'd you get to where you are now? And yeah, oh, in my stealthing of your background, I learned that what you did a TEDx talk. So I'm going to be throwing that, that one up on the table at some point in time, unless you include it right now in what you're going to tell me. No, bring it on. Include it. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime ago, but I, my schooling was Cape View Elementary. Gardendale oh, Elementary, Roosevelt Elementary, Cocoa <laughs> Beach Public School, and then Florida State. And then I went to grad school at University of Pennsylvania for a master's program. Um, so, yeah, what, it's what was the undergrad some great schools. at FSU and what was the master's at Penn? Undergrad at FSU, I, I, I really wanted to play soccer in college. Initially, I wanted to try and play West Virginia or somewhere else. But after what we lived through, my body and my soul were broken from the sport and needed a break bad. So I went to Florida State and I, when I got there, I realized they had this like really amazing emerging entrepreneurship program. So I, at Florida State, I, I got three degrees in business, one in entrepreneurship through the Jim Moran College, and then another in marketing and business management. I just took every business class they had. And then in grad school, it was uh, social entrepreneurship, just a, a one-year master's. 
Mm. I would have picked you for a marketing guy, to be honest. So that one, yeah. I was going, yeah, I would have picked that one. I would have picked, you know, entrepreneurship too. Great. Very Thanks nice. for sharing that. Okay, Zach, over to you. Where'd you go to school? How'd you get to where you are? Awesome. Yeah. So I went to Florida State as well. Evan and I were there at the same time, which is, which is awesome. At Florida State, I studied finance and I was planning to go to law school out there. So I was interested to start learning some of the business side during undergrad degree. And then so for law school, I went to the University of North Carolina. I was up there for three years and um, ended up towards the end focusing on healthcare and regulatory law. And then after the graduation, I, I worked in the Research Triangle Park office of a large law firm called K&L Gates. And I did that for three years and it was an incredible experience and learned a ton about, you know, the, the regulatory and transactional side of the healthcare industry, which worked out great for me coming back to who we play for and being able to help out with the, the, certainly all of the regulations involved and the data privacy stuff. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I'm pretty sure that cybersecurity, when we're talking about privacy, is also included into that set of uh, skills that you have. That's right. That's right. That, that would be one of the smaller skills that I've developed. You're exactly yeah. right. So, certainly within protecting of patient data. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge right there. So where did the idea coming back over here to Evan, where did the idea for who we play for <clears throat> and why yeah. is that? Um, I know you mentioned the previous name, but if you want to expand on the name a little bit more, that's fine. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so now as a sophomore or junior at Florida State University in the entrepreneurship program, I had started a couple of little businesses that were a lot of fun that were doing pretty good in like the college context. It was good, like they were, they were doing decent, I'll leave it at that. And I didn't find a lot of fulfillment from those businesses. And there was a, a, a story that me and Zach and our little community lived and it felt like we couldn't escape that story. And it's Growing up in our little tiny town here in Central Florida, Cocoa Beach, we watched our teammate die of a detectable heart condition on the soccer field wow. when we were 16, 17 years old. So Rafe had a detectable life-threatening heart condition that passed a lifetime's worth of sports physicals that never showed a sign or symptom until his first symptom, which was sudden cardiac arrest in the arms of his teammates. So when we got to Florida State, it felt like everywhere we went, there was someone just like us who had the exact same story whether it was their old teammate or their neighbor or their brother, their cousin, whatever, everybody had a story of someone they knew and loved who died of heart disease or sudden cardiac arrest. So around those times, I had these businesses that weren't really fulfilling my soul, but were doing good in the college context. I felt like this was a moment in time where if we wanted to do something about what Rafe represented, now that we knew it wasn't rare, wasn't a lightning strike incident, that it was the leading cause of death in all of athletes and all of kids, arguably, and by far in the U.S. school system, that if we were going to do it, it had to be now. Florida State had a bunch of resources, a bunch of mentors, a bunch of great people, and they were willing to do a lot for us if we were willing to try. So we brought together all of our best friends in room 114 of our paternity house at the time, and that's where we basically made a covenant with, with each other. We explored all the business models we could try and help solve this national public health crisis of sudden cardiac arrest and young through and ultimately, we, we wanted to do it as a nonprofit. We didn't want anybody to ever confuse what, what this was about, what it was built on. The name initially was around the mantra that drove us in the soccer field. And that mantra was play for Rafe. Rafe was our teammate, obviously. And playing for him is what we wrote on our wristbands. And that's what we broke down before every game in the huddle, Rafe on three. But when we started to think, as Zach 
helped to frame it for us way back when in 2013-ish, what he represented. We knew it, w- it was more than Rafe, um, but it was what he, you know, what he represented across America, et cetera. And that was who we're playing for. And for me, that's a, just a generation of kids like Rafe who were buried that shouldn't have been. Yeah, that's that's a heavy load to carry for sure. And what a great way to remember your friend and, you know, be able to um, keep his his memory alive. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah just it's an honor of a lifetime to do this. And thanks for helping to elevate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my pleasure. So coming back over here to you, Evan, you have anything else that you want to add to that story? Were you a soccer player also? Were you football? I'm not sure. Baseball? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. So I, was, uh, I was a soccer player as well. And um, so of all, I'll say half our co-founders were all on the soccer team and on the field at the time when our friend, one of our closest friends died in front of us at a soccer practice. And um, a couple maybe interesting points about the development and the, the tracking of the business would be that when race fell and his heart stopped, you know, everyone on the field had such a little training on that, that we immediately went into the Heimlich maneuver because we thought maybe he's choking on gum. And then it was just, you know, the one-on-one of what not to do in the, the emergency situation. The no, school had an A. Honestly, I did not know that. So, wow, you just uh, gave us a really good education point. You know, how would mm-hmm. you know the difference though? So in the context, he had nothing in his mouth. He should have known to, to go straight for the CPR probably. But in, in, in further, um, the school had an AED. It was behind a locked door. So we were able to get to the AED. And the ambulance that was trying to arrive, the gate to get out of the field was locked. And so we had now wait for the ambulance to cut the chain and get in. And so we started by placing AEDs, which is what we would have needed on the field, automated. I'm going to ask you to go later. back and explain that terminology for our listeners, because they may not know the acronym. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's a great point. So automated external distributors. Those are the things you'll see um, on TV shows or movies and hopefully never in person, but it's where you, if someone's heart is stopped, so you put the chest teeth on them and it shocks them back to life. And wow. those are the, it, 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 when you put it on them, it will only go off if they're experiencing electrical failure of the heart. So you should always lean towards putting it on them and the machine can decide whether or not they need, need the shock. And they're, they're incredibly user-friendly these days. But yeah, for the time we, we thought let's place AEDs on more fields because we could have used one and let's help schools with emergency response plans because clearly ours was lacking at the time. And then around the time of college when Evan was talking about starting who we play for, that's when we really switched from what we would describe as kind of the reactive side where you wait for something to happen and then you bring the AED and you make the emergency response plan easy to use. Instead, we switched to the proactive side with the preventative screenings. Let's try and flag these students before they even experience sudden cardiac arrest. And then so that's how we got to today. And one or two quick points is that essentially Evan and the team built who we play for into one of the largest nonprofits of its kind in the US, 220 heart screenings over the last 10 years or so. And then Evan can tell me tell this number, but I think it's around 200 kids who have been flagged for immediate life-saving heart surgery and medical intervention. Yeah, 220,000-ish kids who have been screened across 500 communities and a dozen plus states. And yeah, 200-something kids who had life-threatening heart conditions, never had a sign or symptom, who got ICDs in their chest, who had surgery, and some really rare cases had heart transplant, other wild stuff like that. Holy cow, that is... That is incredible. 220,000 screenings. 
that means you're yeah. like in every high school, every college, it sounds like it, you're big. been in a lot. Yeah. I've been in hundreds. Yeah. Maybe definitely 500 plus, but I'm not sure if it's in high, and how far in the thousands. I've got to do some backtracking. But yeah, I've been in a lot. So do you guys work with all sports or is this exclusive? I can't imagine it's exclusive to soccer or football, right? Because, I mean, I was a swimmer when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if there's those kind of uh, statistics yeah. on swimming, but I'm pretty sure yeah. you guys are active with all sports. Yeah. Did you grow up in Seminole County? I'm trying to remember. I did. Yes. I went yeah. to Lake Brantley High School. That's right. Awesome. 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 Yeah. So who we play for does the heart screenings for any kid 10 and up. Our focus is, has been on trying to advance the standard of care to make this a, a part of the regular youth wellness checkup and ECG heart screening, at least for athletes, but for every kid. There's studies all over the place on this, but it's commonly accepted that athletes are at a little bit higher risk. Some studies say three times higher risk. People push back and say, maybe they're not. Maybe they're just more well-known at death of a student athlete. But it's really hard to say how many kids are actually dying of this in America. The incidence rate's hard to, to really track. But we know 7,037 is the number reported four years in a row for deaths in kids in America by the American Heart Association. And you, Isabella, as someone who's run businesses, has worked with in so many different contexts. If you report the same number of four in a row, four years in a row, that is a made-up number. That That's ludicrous. Everybody agrees that that's a low-ball number. And even if it is, a, you know, calling it a low-ball number would make it the leading cause of death in all kids. But nobody knows about it. You don't see commercials on this. And your little, your your school district and ours, Brevard and Orange, are a part of nine of the first school districts in the United States to require this as a standard of care. So Lake Brantley, every kid this year gets an ECG to play sports. Oh, wow. Wow. So Evan, coming back, I'm sorry, Zach, coming back over here. It, gosh, I'm, I bet that happened all the time. <laughs> Zach, Evan, whoever, get here now, right? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how many brothers and sisters you have. We'll save that question. But coming back to you, Zach, um, my other question is, do you guys plan on expanding this beyond just high school? Because I know that there are athletes that play professionally and in the amateur leagues that they need to have this exposure. I don't know. Do they? That's perfect question. We're trying to expand this to any person of any athletic capabilities or none from 10 and up. And that includes expanding to all colleges that we can right now, mostly focus on Florida and the Southeast, but you're exactly right. If you go to, a top program in one of the power five conferences. If you go to Florida state, they'll give you a heart screening, but that is not guaranteed as you go to smaller schools or D2 schools and D3 and so on. Um, and the, many of those schools don't screen. And Evan was just on a phone call right before this phone call, Isabella, and he was talking to someone who had two friends die at the professional soccer level internationally on the soccer field with him. And uh, you would have expected that international professional athletes would have been screened but no, these are national level soccer players who weren't screened. So the need is just is massive and it's global and it certainly applies to every single college, regardless of are you one of the biggest D1s or not. It should be a standard of care for everyone. Oh, gosh, yeah. I see the need for high school, probably even middle school. Who knows? Like, mm -hmm. you just don't know the family's history. There's a lot of variables here. But even in the professional and the amateur leagues, I'm quite sure. I, I don't know. Is this uh, something that they do in that level of 
of the sport and professional and amateur, Evan? Do you know? Yeah, it's it's so it's not always delivered, but it's supposedly required for all pro sports, all Olympic sports. Some countries like Italy, Israel, and Japan require it for all kids at the youth level throughout their life. And then in the, in the United States, if you go to a federal penitentiary, so if Zach gets locked up, he's getting his heart checked beforehand. Mm. Scary stuff. Wow. So Crazy. when you do this procedure, what is it like? I'm not sure. What would somebody expect? Um, is it like you're standing or, you know, do you go into a doctor's office? I don't know. What do you guys do? Anybody can open this one up. So we'll go to Zach. Awesome. Awesome. So super simple process. Um, I can't tell you what an ECG would have been like 20 years ago, but I can tell you the last five to 10 years, they are incredibly easy. The machines are super user-friendly. The machines are handheld size and the latest machines are smaller than an iPhone. So it's, and the way the process works is you show up and we have someone trained on the ECG machine as long as it, hopefully you've picked a specific time to show up. So you don't have to wait in line. You show up and once you get to the ECG table, it takes about, I mean, what is it? Two to three minutes, but certainly less than five minutes from start to finish. And when you arrive, we'll put in some information into our laptop. The laptop's connected to the ECG machine typically, or maybe the iPhone's connected if it's one of the newer machines. And then there's a series of stickers you place along the chest. The student lays down, the student or the participant lays down flat. And it, yeah, we start the machine. It records for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds. And then as long as it takes you to take the 10 stickers off or so, 12 stickers off, you're, you're all done. And then that will be automatically, that ECG, which was recorded by the machine, electrocardiogram gets immediately uploaded to our online database and then it's interpreted by an expert physician and then we email the results back to you uh, within a couple business days so the process is super user friendly very low time commitment um, in and out in less than five minutes if, if there's no line at, at the school mm. so evan how do you guys get paid because this is a huge valuable service I don't know if this is all grant driven or donor driven, but how do you know, it's huge. <laughs> it's like, it sounds expensive, but by uh, even an iPhone, it maybe brings the cost down. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's college kids at Florida state trying to figure out why is this not a standard of care in America? There's a few big reasons that it's been debated and considered for 50 years. One of the biggest reasons is how could you possibly do it if it costs $150? That's what they, people looked at from the public health context. At, and a 12-lead electrocardiogram is $100 to $150. That was what 10 years ago, what people thought, expected, accepted. And uh, what who we play for is done in that moment is college kids. We just made up a number and said, how, we're going to charge $20. And then when kids can't afford it, we fundraise year-round to cover that cost. So a lot of maybe half the program or so is funded through people who can afford to pay the $20 or who are interested in paying it forward for other families who cannot afford the $20. Mm -hmm. And if you can't afford the 20 bucks, then it's covered. And thank God for groups like Orlando health and um, locally health first parish and Amores, Advent health, especially who've helped to make that possible for kids in central Florida. Mm -hmm. well, we, we've gotten a lot of grants and stuff like that too over the years, like the NASCAR Foundation and some of and the Ripid Foundation is another great Central Florida based group. 
Wow, that's uh, significant. And you said like how long ago it was like 100 or $150? If you Google how much is an ECG 12 lead electrocardiogram, it'll come up between 50 to $150 now when you look at it. Oh, now. But in 2013, they, it, they, 100 to 150 was what people accepted. So when they say there's 315,000 student athletes in Florida, how could we ever afford this as a, as a state? Now our rebuttal is... 30% of the state has accepted this price point of $20. When we make it a standard of care, other people in the market meet the $20 price point or come close to it just to be competitive, to get people to come and get that ECG service to them. Hmm. Does insurance cover this? Is this something that, so no, considered beyond that, right? That's right. That's right. What helps us a lot with our pricing is that we operate outside of insurance. So we do cash pay and then the physicians, the expert physicians who read for us and donate their time as a donation to the nonprofit. So the, the number it comes from, if you were to go to a walk-in clinic, typically they can charge you between 100 to a couple hundred bucks, maybe as low as 50, but they have restraints set on them by the insurance of how much needs to be charged for certain medical services. And certainly, obviously, if you go to a hospital or try to go to an ER or something of that nature, the prices can go way up. Since we don't have to bill insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So you must not have to have some type of a uh, an order to come and get this done. You can just walk in and have it done. You don't have to have permission yeah. from a doctor or an HMO or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to your local pediatrician to get an ECG mm-hmm. or someone like that, if they're going to be able to bill for it with an insurance code, then there needs to be a symptom typically like fainting, chest pain, shortness of breath or something like that, or post COVID then you can bill for an ECG. But as far as like a standard preventative ECG, that's a part of what who we play for is trying to do is change the standard of care in America to make this what people get annually or biannually. Hmm. Well, I love this whole story that you guys have shared. How old is this organization? About 10 years. Wow. Never heard of it, but I can see it's so valuable. Have you guys tried to get a license tag with, uh, you know, the name on it and then get revenue from that that supports the organization? We have a lot of amazing lobbyists that we grew up with that are now just studs and they're, amazing, they're just incredible. And they, they, they've taken us down that road before. We've never fully followed it. I think you need a couple thousand license plate like people to sign up or something like that. I can't even remember what the constraint was, but we got close to it once. A couple mm-hmm. years ago, I saw something that was published last week, and it said that these are the license tags that are being taken off because they haven't had yes. support. So, yeah, you don't oh, want to be that group that you know. Yeah. Save the manatees. It'd be cool though. They're gone, right? <laughs> yeah. Save the manatees. I'm serious about it, though. Like, yep. serious. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. let's switch gears and talk about you have a for-profit company. And you guys are in an accelerator. So let's kind of balance this story as to what's going on. So I don't know the name of this group. I know we were talking about there's not a site or anything for it yet. But I'm pretty sure that what you're experiencing in the accelerator is way different than the work that you've been experiencing in the nonprofit sector. Yeah, believe it or not, there's not a whole lot of difference like in how people it's run businesses. Every, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not much difference. It's just different business models, different funding sources. The big difference, and we I mentioned this today to uh, the gentleman who came from um, Deep Capital, Deep Work, and that's just, it's so uncomfortable for me to ask for money from people in a for-profit context. 
I have no no problem at all asking people for money in a nonprofit context. Mm -hmm. I'm purely humanitarian and mission driven. Did you have? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like a quirk that I got to figure out because the and the reason we chose to do this as a in a the for profit capacity is with Eindhoven, which Zach will explain more is we have this moment where it's like the early, the big, it feels like the personal computer is about to be invented where machine learning is making so much possible. We happen to have the largest database of pediatric ECGs in the United States. So we know, and maybe in the world and through our, some of the international experts on our team, like Dr. Antonio Policia from Rome, Italy, who's on the International Olympic Committee and who created a policy in Italy to require ECGs every year for every Italian, which resulted in a 90% reduction of sudden cardiac arrest. The beauty of our American data, different than Italy, is it's the diversity. So it means that the ethnicity, ethnicity plays a huge role in all things heart disease and, and especially reading ECGs. A, a bazillion Italian ECGs are not as valuable from a machine learning standpoint as 200,000 American ECGs. So the real hope here is that overnight, if you can crack this code with machine learning at the very least, the objective number one is you could democratize access to the world's greatest interpreter. It, it's like having a pediatric electrophysiologist, you know, overreading every ECG instantaneously through a convolutional neural network or some other tools we're playing with. Wow. So we're going to turn this over to you now, Zach. What are you adding on to that? Because like, there's a ton of stuff you can add on. Yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll, I'll start trying to see how I can fit the pieces together to hopefully make sense. But the background, of course, is that it would start uh, maybe about three years ago with our, um, well, we were lucky to put together a group of medical advisors who are experts in their field in the medical context, and some had certainly more of the PhD um, neuroscience. And about three years ago, we really started to explore the idea of, we have a really unique database. Is there anything we can do with it? Um, and as Evan mentioned, the uniqueness comes from the age range we target, which is the 10 to 18 age range, the ethnicities in the background. But even more unique is that no one else in the U.S. is collecting databases of healthy ECGs. Our ECGs are going to be 97% healthy, whereas the hospital is more likely to give you an ECG if they think there's an issue. And of course, you want to train some sort of tool using healthy as the standard normal baseline. So we thought about it a few years ago. No, no traction, no machine learning experts that we knew of maybe checked in and on it two years ago. And then about a year ago, we just ended up getting lucky that a friend at the shared working space in Groundswell happened to be a machine learning expert. And so we spent the first three months with him, his name is Scott, he's incredible in this space. Scott, and then people on our medical advisory team just having for three months, just weekly meetings discussing what they could do with this data, what's possible in the machine learning context, and then maybe the next two or three months was just purely researching the market. What are the currently existing projects in the space? What, who would be our competitors? We couldn't find anyone working on anything similar to what we were thinking. So yeah, about six months ago is when we got really serious and brought on some interns and students from FIT to help us with engineering needs as a, a kind of immediate help on cleaning our ECG data. The next step was that we applied for it and we were lucky enough to win uh, health equity grant from Amazon, which provides expert machine learning services. And that's where we're at now. We're um, working with Amazon through their grant process to have expert machine learner, learner engineers 
work with us and team we, we've built on this project. And, and now we're at this, we're still, it's still within a who we play for context right now, but given the need will be for engineers, we need to pay for engineering costs here pretty soon as things continue on the successful path they have been, that we're gonna to need to put it into some sort of entity that can take investment money and then with the expectation to pay back, which is the biggest limitation with nonprofits, of course, that no one, you can't, no one could invest with us with the expectation of making their money back. So, and, and certainly don't think we can cover the engineering costs required through donation. So, so we're, we're gonna be ended up trying to have a the new company, which is called Einthoven. And the, and the background on that, we think it's fun. And it, it, it's of the, the Tesla mindset where you take an old scientist and give him a little bit of credit in your business name. So Willem Einthoven was a physician in the early 1900s, inventor who won a Nobel Prize for, for recording the first ever ECG. And you have to look up the photo of it. it it's, it's pretty wild. He has three limbs and buckets of salt mm -hmm. water and his heart's connected to this machine that then produces an electrical current. So we, we took his last name and put AI as, as the first two initials. Oh, wow. That is a fun little story. So I'm guessing that he has one foot in a bucket, another foot in a bucket, and a hand in a bucket. So he has a free hand. That's right. I'm seeing this picture in my head and I'm going, wow, that sounds like a lot of stuff that's happening in that room. So, whoa, that is really big. Um, I would think that because you've got a social cause tied to it, that uh, this is more for Evan when he's thinking sales, that if you've got it tied to a social cause, people love organizations, businesses that have a social impact. And that's really where your impact is. So when you're talking about what you can do as a line item in your budget, when you're putting your budget together, I don't know if you've reached that place, but you can have some of that money um, donations that come in and it can count towards R&D research and development. And that can be a way that you can drive traffic donations towards the R&D budget. And then that helps supports what's going on in the for-profit. Obviously you have to have everything very transparent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's, we, we've gone back and that's great feedback. And love to keep this conversation going. We've gone back and forth for like six months on the best way to structure this. And the way we landed at the moment is we're going to keep this a who we play for project. We anticipate it to continue to have success, like Zach said. We then, if it does, then who we play for and these other nonprofit partners that we've worked with for decades for okay. a decade who are just you like us. Yep. I don't know. If yeah, yeah, definitely. And that'll 100% be a decor. You're for profit, but then yep. you also have the benefits of mission. So, yeah, definitely. So, what we want to do is who we play for in these other brother and sister nonprofits that helped us get started, who are parents who buried their kids, will all have a, a, a be small equity partners in this B Corp Eintoven company if it works. And, uh, th and we went back and forth too. Like we, we could possibly do this as a nonprofit under who we play for, but we think it needs millions of dollars to work. And I we mean, didn't trust in our ability to be able to raise millions of dollars without promising a return. So it felt like different business model for a global reach was needed. So I'm going to throw you another idea here because as mm -hmm. a B Corp, if you partner up with like John Hopkins or some really well-known mm -hmm. educational institution, you can, you guys can go for SBIR money or, uh, you know, and then yeah. it's a study that in the first round it's 250,000, but I think that they've actually increased it to 
more. It might be a half a million. But in phase two funding, it then goes to 150,000, but it oh, might wow. be a million. So yeah, yeah you yeah. go through those phases and then you can tie it into maybe Department of Health money also. But by working with a school, they already mm-hmm. have the established grant relationship with some of these funders and it can be a program that they are funding and helping yeah. to support in the research. So start thinking Love in that it. direction. Yeah. We, we actually work with UCS College of Medicine and, and put out, I've done right. some research with them and presented the American Academy of Pediatrics last year. And we, we the, I wish we would have talked about this earlier. We just learned a little bit about that th- about two weeks ago from FSU's College of Medicine. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, thank you. Um, and then because you've got UCF behind you and you've got FSU, obviously the more schools you have, um, that's significant. But UCF does have a health incubator that is out there in the um, Lake Nona area. So did you know about that one? Uh, is that the Adidas funded one? Uh, Zach, what was that one you no, just found? The Adidas one is in Lake Nona, but it's for the sports industry so the one that is at lake nona it is right next to guidewell and i think guidewell is the one that is a significant partner that's really cool yeah love please definitely we need to we have homework to do on that did you guys meet okay we're having this as a whole online conversation right now (laughs) david metcalf because he's a part of the national science foundation's i-corps program and David is also somebody who heads up that uh, medical group that's out in the Lake Nona Guidewell area that is UCF's health incubator. The name sounds familiar, but no, I, I don't think we have. Oh, well, then when we finish with this, remind me cool. and I'll connect you guys to David. Um, he's significant and it's David, M-E-T-C-A-L-F, as I'm spelling it online. If he doesn't get hit with a lot of LinkedIn requests, I'd be surprised. I should have him as a guest on the show. He's really, he's a smart guy. And when I say um, health, it's not health as in like uh, the sports accelerator that's out in Lake Nona. Um, That one is, oh, the name's right there on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, um, this one is the medical industry and it's very different from the one that's lead. That's the one that's at Lake Nona also. And that's uh, sports and health, um, sports, entertainment, and health. They have to be anything in that spectrum, but you could, you could potentially get over there. They come in with a lot of funding, by the way, and they give you an apartment to live in because they want you to live there. They will percent equity though. Just saying. Would you do it? (laughs) No, because I actually applied (laughs) to Morgan Stanley's and um, they only take 4% equity. So you always look for Uh, the ones that take less equity. So mm-hmm. you have, have it to grow. The Smart, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, oh. coming back over here. So how far are you in this program? And let's give a little shout out to day, De- uh, to Dennis Poppy, who is the founder and, and head of that whole group. What's it called? I know what it is, but for our listeners, what is his yeah. accelerator called? That's right. It's called venture scale up. So we call right. VS, VSU for short. And it's been unbelievable. I think this is the end of week three. It's a Monday night, Tuesday lunch um, meetings. And there's five or six other businesses in there. And, and it's been really, really productive. They, they have brought in speakers every time to talk about essentially the for-profit side of business, which has been mostly new for us. And, and it's been really good learning. And especially they brought in a few people who will really have really walked us through uh, what investors look for. 
and expectations of investors, which has been good because, of course, it's, it's different um, expectations and donors and big donors that we're used to of the nonprofit context. So today, today was good. One of the this will be you know, nothing new for you, Isabella, but hearing that you know the concept of 10% return or 10 times return in three to five years for a venture capitalist definitely was one of those uh, moments of, okay, write that down and yeah. that in mind. That is a big number, but exciting. Mm-hmm. It is. It is significant. But believe me, I'm like yourselves. My background started in education. I then was parallel with nonprofit. So I've always been in fundraising. I understand that beast pretty well. Uh, certificate mm-hmm. in grant writing, certificate in uh, nonprofit management, worked in the industry for the same amount of time as teaching. It was when I flipped over into a scalable for-profit business, very different. So that is where you guys are. You're feeling those same learning curve and growing pains. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take just a minute to acknowledge our sponsor and we'll be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we are back to our show. And in the second half of our show, we're going to focus on the future of jobs and the industries in 2030. That sounds far off, but... You know, we want to make sure that we're really thinking through everything here. Um, what what impact did you see COVID have on the sporting industry um, for these past two years? Because did it hurt your nonprofit or, you know, kids weren't playing sports. So how did it impact you guys, even as a nonprofit? Yeah, catastrophic. And thank God for the PPP that helped yeah. us get through a few really tough months, but and some reserves and some just really loyal people to this mission and the cause. But as far as like the state of the union on our mission in the United States and global globally, I think it propelled it forward tremendously. It woke people up to a whole bunch of underlying heart issues, student athletes and kids, et cetera. The myocarditis issue, which gets a lot of airtime, which is much more likely to happen from COVID, but in a very rare case, this can happen from the vaccine too. Um, brought the focus on what, where it should have always been, which is checking people's and kids' hearts before mm-hmm. they play sports. So we we were able to to work with a lot of groups, a lot of colleges especially, because mm-hmm. it became re- essentially required for people post-COVID to get an ECG and to return the sports plan. So I think it also helped us get better at developing a uh, the self-service model. So who we play for currently serves middle schools, high schools, colleges, some professional teams, some Olympic teams, and a lot of it for the places that have athletic trainers or nurses or some sort of medical professional will ship them the equipment and train them remotely or outfit them with the equipment and then provide 24-hour pediatric services. So that plus doctor's offices has been really helpful. Yeah, you just mentioned, you know, fitness centers, and I thought, Oh my gosh, I've seen that same uh, piece of equipment at gyms mm-hmm. where I go and I work out. And I hadn't even thought about it because all of these different verticals are so valuable where you could come mm-hmm. in and as a screening, when you're joining a gym, it's like, okay, well, let's do this to make sure that, you know, we don't, if I'm the fitness center, don't get sued mm-hmm. because I didn't mm-hmm. know this. And then, you know, how can you protect your customers is that would be mm-hmm huge i i see so many 
ways that you guys can expand what you're doing. Did you guys Amen. create the app also? Is that something that you guys did, made it all connect that way? Yeah, we, we uh, one of our co-founders and best friends who actually is our teammate who did CPR and Rafe Clinton helped. So we got the equipment and then we created a bunch of systems around making the equipment super user-friendly and scalable. And then from there, created some video content, some other um, just in-house like customization stuff for people to use this. Wow. Really good. Well, I'm going to come back over here to Zach. So what do you think the future is going to look like now? Since you're, you've got a for-profit side, you're able to support it in a different way. COVID isn't going away. There's always going to be something else that's here. It's, it's always been with us. We just didn't call it this. Um, but what do you think the future of health industry will be like? Yeah, specific to us, it's going to be really interesting. As more, as I've mentioned, more and more um, industry, big wigs in the industry and industry groups in the medical field as it relates to heart screenings and, and, and people who talk on the topic of pre-screening electrocardiograms, certainly they warmed up to it more and more during COVID and the realization of how at-risk at risk kids' hearts are and things of that nature. And what, there's a huge, huge constraint right now in our space, which is ECGs for kids and, and pediatric ECGs, which is that there just simply aren't enough expert interpreters in the U.S. If, if so say, tomorrow Congress decides to make this a big issue and they pass a law that requires pre-screening ECGs for student-athletes, there simply are not enough physicians alive who are experts that could read everyone. Um, and, and depending on who you ask in Florida, maybe there's a couple hundred experts, maybe there's less than 20 top level expert interpreters. So that is the whole entire initiative with the Ein Token Company, where if people need ECGs across the U.S., the reality is they cannot all go to the children's hospitals that have the experts, which is not the way the hospitals are set up to do these pre-screening ECGs. So we were able to build a tool that could provide expert level ECG analysis it would open up the capabilities to provide screenings to everyone in the U.S. and in any market, and especially the markets that currently require them, like Italy and Israel and Japan. The idea of having a software application that provides expert interpretation for the pediatric space, which doesn't exist now, would, uh, would really change the way this industry looks. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that. So going into robots, AI, augmented reality, virtual reality, or whatever other type of technology, um, I can definitely see the positive impact. Do you see any negative impact of knowing, having this information? Personally, I can't think of anything, but I don't know if it's ever come up in a conversation. Like somebody's afraid, oh, my child is getting some kind of radiation, whatever exposure. The only thing that comes to mind immediately, and I didn't jump in and, and and, and fill in is that what we're trying to build is a screening tool that's abnormal or normal. And if you get abnormal, it would tell you to go talk to an expert physician. Right. It could be an issue if there's at-home tools that diagnose you with something complicated. And then now there's parents who just got some really serious news about their children trying to interface with an AI system over what does it mean that my kid has a deadly heart condition? So I think it, eventually a tool could do that, but that is something that I would be scared of being the idea of relaying the diagnosis itself through an AI or a tech tool is, would be scary to me and, and certainly always need the, the human touch there. That's the only thing that comes to mind for me. 
Hmm. What about you, Evan? I mean, I see nothing but mm. positive here. So I'm not right. saying let's try and yeah, yeah, something, <laughs> but you know, I, yeah. I, I could see how this could be beneficial even to um, retired elderly. Like this is something mm -hmm. that I think everybody, I have to go in and get mammograms, right? You know, I'm a woman, mm -hmm. I should do that. Everybody yeah. should be checking, you know, whether, you know, you might be exposed to diabetes. There's all of these other tests. What was interesting to me is I went into my uh, gynecologist and I said, so I want to do a full panel, you know, blood screening. They said that thyroid, they don't check it if you're over 40 when that's the age that they should be doing it and covered yeah. by insurance. And I went, what? That just doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. And the price was incredibly high and insurance doesn't cover it for wow. So you have to pay extra for that. Yeah. Um, so I feel like this particular screening and the price point that you guys have made it is super valuable for mm -hmm. any age of person. No matter mm -hmm. what, do you feel like, you know, legislature would be interested in adding this or maybe even the um, insurance industries is wanting yeah. to include this as this should be standard care? Yeah. yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that's how this ends in groups like who we play for. It's uh, I imagine it'll be a, like a mic drop moment where eventually it's an accepted standard of care and it's like the March of Dimes with polio. We've finished the mission and maybe either we figure out how to support it in a different way but we're not needing to go to all these schools because it should be in the doctor's office. Mammograms, as you said, is an accepted standard of care in America because a group of people got together and rallied for it and fought for it and forced the government's hand, insurance hand, et cetera. And when you compare a mammogram as a screening tool versus what we're, we're talking about, it's not even close to as good. A mammogram over 10 years has a 70% false positive rate. Uh, 50 to 100,000 women die every year of breast cancer. And the follow-up testing is an intrusive biopsy oftentimes. Still, I believe deeply in mammograms. We should do them all the time on, on women. And, that, and our, the governor's wife, our first lady is alive. Mm -hmm. But when you look at an ECG, when it's read the right way for kids in sports, one to 3% false positive. The follow-up test is an echocardiogram, which is non-intrusive, not a surgery, often an echocardiogram. And then the cause of death leading, as you know, sudden cardiac arrest is number one leading cause of death in schools, number one leading cause of death um, in the United States before COVID, number one cause of death in student athletes, arguably number one cause of death in kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Well, what's, what I'm hearing is if anybody's looking for a career, uh, because we've had the great resignation, a career movement is going into reading any type of these um, x-rays and, and images, super valuable career choice. And it seems mm -hmm. like it's a, in desperate need of support. So that would be where I think we should see a big push of people going into those industries. I did not know that there was such a shortage of this. It's tough. Yeah, it, it is surprising to me as well. You, and it's one of those skill sets where a lot of people can interpret adult ECGs. And adult ECGs are much more straightforward, comparatively, not physician, right? But that is everything we hear from the top physicians. But it's in the pediatric space, they get so complicated and so nuanced that it really requires a really capable um, mm -hmm. expert on it. So let's go to our last question. Well, almost the last question. Best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our listening audience. And keep in mind, um, surprisingly, it's not all 
you know, in students, most of my listening audience, just for your own knowledge, is actually people in business. Um, so we are global. People hear this radio show all over the world in other countries. Um, and I just wanted you to know, like, that we got some some really good followers that are actually, you know, downloading our shows and sharing them and doing all kinds of stuff and great feedback. So what do you want to share as your mentoring advice that you want to pass on? Whoever wants to go first. Zach, you go first. I'll jump in. I'll, yeah, I'll jump in first. I, I, my advice might be mostly limited to the, the law firm space since that's where I cut my teeth professionally to start with. But um, in, in that context, certainly far and away, the biggest piece of advice I got and what I saw to be the most successful for people is trying to be a good teammate. And I, truly like if if there's a change in the project that wasn't forecasted and now there's an issue you gotta stay late for it's just trying to troubleshoot together solve it together being a good teammate and i think the biggest thing especially for my context as a young associate working with people who are much more skilled than i was and with decades of experience was just showing up and, and being present and, and i can i can remember the times where i had a complicated assignment and, and I toiled away in my own office and tried for a couple of days on the subject, got nowhere. Where what I should have done is communicated better with, hey, let's troubleshoot these issues I'm having. So that person was aware that I was working hard on it. But of course, when I showed up three days later with no answer and I hadn't had any questions in the meantime, like that, just that, those were the days where I set myself up for some, uh, some disappointed faces. So being a good teammate <laughs> and show, showing up as, as much as possible. Um, and being present was the biggest thing in the law firm context that I had. Hmm, that's good advice there. How about you, Evan? That was fantastic advice. I didn't expect that, Zach. I think you're the epitome of a good teammate. So bravo, you're living what you're saying. But uh, I would say, I always have found like this imagery really powerful, really since we were pallbearers at our teammates' funeral. And it's the idea that one day someone will give a eulogy for Isabella's life, hopefully decades and decades into the future, 100 years from now, with modern technologies advancements. But I, I really love the idea. <laughs> now, you had too much good work to do. Don't you dare tap out at least 60, 70 more. But um, so my advice to anybody at this point, this is what I've tried to follow as a 30-year-old who's been doing who we play for stuff for the last nine, 10 years mostly who we play for stuff is there's just an abundance of opportunity out there. There's a million businesses, million ideas for people like us. There's an idea every other day, but the idea that I chose to put my life into this far, this so far is an idea that I want to be told at my funeral as a part of my eulogy. So doing it for the eulogy, not worrying about what's on your resume or how it's tweaked or building towards something, picking an idea that you're most passionate about that the world most needs and something that maybe your kids one day can learn about and maybe even your grandkids or further and be inspired by. Mm, that is really good. It's always about leaving a legacy. We, we, as humans, we want to know that we're, we can be remembered. We will be remembered. And what is it? And that's always about impact. So mm -hmm. I love the work you guys are doing. I'm going to be really thrilled to see us make this blow up even big when we start sharing it. So, you know, it's a definitely a partnership. Okay. So how can people find who we play for? What's the website? And then we always supply everybody's LinkedIn profiles. 
um, on our clothes card of the show because this is video as well as audio. And as the video side, is there other than LinkedIn, how do you want people to reach out to you guys? Through the website, your email? I do not tell people, give your email. Huh. Uh, no, nah, it's whatever it takes. If this is something anyone who's listening to this wants to be involved with, we need your help. Join arms and uh, march with us. You can reach out through who we play for.org, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever sure your favorite social media is. On that website, right? Where people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. definitely. We'd be lucky to have whoever's listening and this calls their soul bringing on. Okay. Okay. And then uh, how about you, Zach? You good with people connecting with you on LinkedIn as well? Yeah, definitely. LinkedIn or, or through the Who We Play For website and our general email. I'm slightly embarrassed that my LinkedIn is still under construction. I was forced to make it in law school and I just hadn't kept up with it. So uh, oh, well, it will be up to date. Your show <laughs> four weeks. You have more than enough time to get a current headshot up there instead of being like legal Zach. You can be the who we play for, Zach, which is this guy that I know. Yeah. That's right. He's got a That's right. beard, a hat. He's like very, very, you know, chill and, and laid back. And different than the the employer one. Well, anyway, I want to thank you guys for being a guest on the show. This was awesome. And I am really looking forward to sharing this message with our listening audience. Awesome. Thank you. Well, so thank much. you. This is, this is incredible. You are welcome. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our production team and video interns, Christian Flowers and Daniel Conti. Music is by Sophie Lloyd, and our sound engineer is Eric Peterson. Please visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while upskilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for listening to The Interim Whisper and follow us on your favorite podcast channels.